0: But I didn't go because I'm kind of wiped out a little bit from uh, my trip to Nepal. I was gone for 19 days, arrived back uh, Friday morning, um, about uh, 9 in the morning, and uh, just still have some jet lag, but, but God is, is gracious to that. Now, um, some of you may not even realize or know where Nepal is. If I put a world map up here, I think uh, many of you could find uh, Nepal, but if you didn't, I got a little help for you. Nepal is in that region there. It is north of India, south of China, literally halfway around the world. Uh, In fact, now with daylight saving time stopped, do you know how the different, how many hours of difference it is? So it is right now, it's 1030 here in uh, Rockford. Do you have any idea what time it is over there? It's about 10.30, but it's not 10.30. It's 10.15 is what it is. So India's on the half hour, and um, Nepal, just to be different, is on the quarter hour. So that's kind of bizarre is what it is. But. Uh, that's Nepal, literally halfway around the world. I mean, it, uh, it's about as far away as you can get, and the culture is about as far away as you can get from our, our culture here. Well, my, my trip had three phases in it. My first was spent time with uh, Bob Clinton and uh, Phil Smith from First Love International, which is based here out of Love's Park, uh, doing great things in Nepal and in um, a handful, dozen maybe countries over the world, focusing on, uh, on the needy. Bob focuses his missions efforts in Nepal. He's been there for 20 years or so, really trying to serve the uh, orphans and widows there as a, just a help to the church. Uh, Phil is a new president of um, of First Love International. I've known Phil for about 20 years, and so it's it's good to see him coming in. Spend a couple days with him was was wonderful. Um, our time together was a whirlwind as we traveled around the various children's homes that Bob has in Nepal but super encouraging you see, these abandoned children being loved and cared for and being raised in a Christian environment and they're living for Christ and beginning to make an impact for Christ upon Nepal, particularly those who have grown up and are getting jobs and some are even pursuing in the ministry. Super encouraging. A second phase of my ministry was with N.D. Lama. And I know that the weebies are like love and Indy Lama, right? Yes. Noel, do you see the picture of the Alabama shirt there? Gage would be happy. Uh, and Andy just was given that shirt by someone. He has no idea who the Crimson Tide are. It was really kind of interesting. But he was doing some welding. Um, if you're a pastor over there, you need to be multifaceted. I don't know how to weld, but he was welding. And um, we got his kind of junk shirt on and, um, when we took this picture. But I met Andy at Southern Seminary. Where I was doing my doctoral studies there. He was in my cohort. And andy has been involved in planting several churches, been involved in some Bible translation projects. Uh, right now, he's focusing on schools. He started about five schools. The one he oversees now is about 200 students, K through 10. And uh, it's amazing how busy this man is and all that he's doing. Uh, it's encouraging to think about just the number of students he's impacting for Christ at his schools. Well, the third phase of my ministry was spent with the uh, Alan Jinn Award Partners. And there is Alan Jinn there. And um, to his left, to his, right, to his left, to our right, is Lazarus Thulong, who's probably one of the most famous Nepali Christians. He is a prolific author and writer, and he has just committed to the ministry of Word Partners. Um, every time I've gone over to Nepal, this is my ninth trip, and I've met with him, I've done some ministry with him on seven occasions. He's really a- an amazing man. Uh, his pastor, his, name, his dad, his name is N.D. as well, who was actually persecuted for the faith. Like, I remember him telling the story of him being in jail and being beaten on his feet, um, because when you stand before a doctor, they say, how you doing? They don't look at the soles of your feet to see them all blistered and cracked and ruined and things like that. But that's his dad. And his grandfather was a, um, one of the first Christians in Nepal. I tell you a lot, but I'm not talking about Lazarus today. I'm talking about Alan Jinn and both those guys. I spent a couple of days with them together training pastors on uh, just how to approach the scriptures. First um, and second Samuel was our focus. We saw the rise and fall of King Saul and of uh, King David as well. And these three phases of ministry really complemented each other. On the, on the one hand, I spent time with uh, orphans and children's homes, encouraging the staff and children. And then uh, my time with N.D. Lama, focusing on schools and just even thinking about the, understanding the challenge of a Christian school in a Hindu land. And my third time with Alan Jin, focusing on pastors, really helping to equip them and just how to read and how to understand, how to interpret God's word. They might preach it with God's heart. And this morning, I have many stories to share and I want to use John 4 to guide our thoughts. This passage is a good reflection of what took place in Nepal. So you can open your Bibles to John chapter 4. My, my message this morning is, is not going to be an exposition of John chapter 4. I'm going to be pretty loose with the text this morning, um, but I wanted to use John chapter 4 just as a, as, a, as a springboard, just as we see through the stories of that book, just raising up topics of um, some things we can talk about a conversation this morning as I just tell about my experience in Nepal these last couple of weeks. So I want to begin here the first three verses of John chapter 4. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea And departed again for Galilee. So just to hang your thoughts on something here. I just say we we see here an increasing ministry. And uh, I saw that in Nepal. Just ministry just increased. Uh, The first three chapters of John. We see John the Baptist being prominent. He arrives on the scene in chapter 1. Going out by the Jordan River. He's preaching repentance and baptizing all who would come to him. And confess their, their sins. But he knew his place. He knew that he was merely the forerunner who would then point the way to Jesus and direct people to Jesus. Um, there was a day in his ministry when uh, he was standing there with his disciples. He saw Jesus walking the way. He pointed to them and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When the disciples came and said, Are you the Christ of John the Baptist? He said, No, I'm not. I'm the one pointing to Jesus. It was, John, it was John's role. Though he was drawing many people, he knew that his role was decreasing. He said in John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. And this increase is what we see in verses 1 through 3. John was baptizing a lot of people, but beginning of chapter 4, we see the ministry of Jesus beginning to take over the size of John's ministry. And this was noticed by the Pharisees, and so Jesus was in danger, and so he traveled north up into Galilee to distance himself from the persecutions coming upon him. And this increasing ministry is exactly what we see in Nepal. Do you know how many Christians were in Nepal in 1950? Not like that. I mean, that's a pretty obscure fact. How many Christians were in Nepal in 1950? Zero. The gospel had not ever reached Nepal in 1950. It was a closed nation. Foreigners couldn't get there. But by 1960, the first believers had come into the nation. And they came because the Nepali people went out, heard the gospel, particularly I think uh, Pakistan they came in from the west, India, Pakistan, whatever, they heard the gospel and they brought the gospel back into Nepal. So the 1960 first believers in the nation and um, these Nepalis had come to faith outside, they, they came back in and the church since then has experienced steady growth and steady growth means actually exponential impact. Today, there are more than 400,000 believers in Nepal. Official stats hold that at 1.4% of the population. But I was told by Christians in Nepal now that population is higher. The government, in their statistics, wants to keep that low so they don't see the Christians. They think it's higher. Maybe not a lot higher. And 1.4% may not seem very high. But when you go from zero to 1.4%, that's infinite growth, right? (laughs) So it's been growing quite a bit. And the number of Christians in Nepal just continues to increase and increase and increase. So I got to see this firsthand. I spoke with several pastors who'd planted several churches, and that's just like, like the norm. Every church they have is a church plant. Every church they have starts. So they don't have churches all over the land. Let me tell you about one man I met. His name is Becky. Okay, It's a boy's name. It's kind of difficult. When I saw it spelled, like, okay, I can call him Becky. But it was hard before then to call him Becky. Um, he, his focus in his ministry is on training church planters. His organization has a year-long training program. Where they train church planters. Three months of residential and person in Kathmandu, and the other time just more remote or, or just come in for just a modular uh, training sessions. They train men in the scriptures and real practical things to help them gather and organize new churches in Nepal. The requirement of finishing the training program is to plant a church. And he told me, Becky did, that ninety-five percent of his graduates are successful in planting a church. You know, in America, those who try to plant churches, you know how many Americans are successful in planting churches? Runs about twenty-five percent. Seventy-five percent of church plants in America fail, and here this guy is training guys for a year. And and, and mind you, like like these guys are laborers, they're goat farmers, they're tea shop owners of very little education. Train them for a year and go out and 95% of them are able to plant and establish a church. And many go on to plant two, three, four, five churches. And these churches also plant churches. So he in his time there has been involved with about 200 church planters. And uh, that accounts for more than 500 churches through his network. Um, but still 500 churches in line of 400,000 people. It's not like he's a big player in the game. He's just playing the game. There's lots of people all over Nepal just like Becky these churches that are planting and they're they're multiplying this i'm saying an increasing ministry and i just say this how unlike the united states nepal is In, in our country the church is in decline we have fewer and fewer and fewer people attending church following christ than ever before deconstruction is a huge word in the Christian culture today, of just people like losing their faith, thinking through their faith, and deconstructing from all that. In America, churches are closing faster than they're starting. Not so in Nepal, the church is on a rise. Here, here's a simple graph of baptized Christians in Nepal. I just kind of whipped this up on Excel and it's looking something like that. It's just psh, taking off. Here's a graph of church attenders in the United States. And I had many conversations with those in Nepal telling them how blessed they were to be an exciting place where the church is taking off, where the church is going. And I say, you may be poor in this world, little financial opportunity, but you're rich toward God in seeing God work and just never miss the the sight of the blessing of God that that is for you. In 2013, a report by Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary found that Paul's church was the fastest growing church in the world. Since 1970, they have um, increased by 10.9%. That's compounding interest, compounding increasing. And I was blessed to experience some of that increasing ministry. So let's move on. And uh, in verses 4 through 8 of John, we see a need for water. Verse 4. And he had to pass through Samaria because that's on the, the northern way up through from Jerusalem to Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. And he, he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob was there. And so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy some food. This passage shows us the humanity of Jesus. He and his disciples were heading north to Galilee. He's wearied from his journey. And he had to sit on the well when his disciples had traveled on to get some food. Jesus sat by the well. Maybe, maybe he was an older man. I mean, he was only 30 or so like that. But maybe it's the young ones who went off and got the food. I'm not exactly sure. But when a Samaritan woman came out to draw water, Jesus requested a drink from her. Verse 7, give me a drink. And this just reminds me of a story of a town called Bengada. In 2017, that's like six years ago, there um, been some heavy winds and a flood in that town. A man came named Prakash, who is uh, right here. Um, he was told about the village, and Prakash, by the way, you know Prakash, you were in Nepal one time at his wedding. You were there, and a side story. Ivan was at the wedding, and you noticed that no one's taking pictures, right? So Yvonne started, and this wedding was like 12 years ago? I don't know, 10 years ago? Started taking pictures with her phone, and Prakash asked me on this trip, he said, oh, Pastor Steve, do you have any pictures of my wedding? He didn't have any wedding pictures. So Yvonne downloaded them to me, and I gave him a little jump drive. He we got wedding pictures. We have a little video of showing him and his wife his wedding pictures. He's so happy that he gave him a picture of his wedding. Um, anyway, we've known Prakash for a long time. Super exciting kind of guy. Anyway, Prakash heard about this village, and he went and he visited. There had been heavy winds and flooding in this village, and so he just went there to help, and there was an elderly widow there whose house had been heavily damaged. Her, her roof and walls were, were damaged, so he repaired the roof and the walls, and even he noticed that she was hungry, so she brought some food for, him, for her and for her grandchildren who were staying with her, and just his kindness then. just There were some children there, the grandchildren. They gathered other children, other children, and so they started a kids' club, Uh, which many children in that village have uh, attended. And then later that year, Bob Clinton went to the village, met some who were there, and he met a little girl named Sagina. And she had club feet at that time. Um, Club feet, like when your feet are turned, like, backwards. It's really debilitating, happens often, uh, many times. And uh, Bob talked to Prakash, and Prakash took her to Banapa where there's this uh, hospital that's expert in uh, in club feet. And I think with club feet, we diagnose it quickly, and so any infant with club feet right, gets their femur broken, maybe and switched around or something like that, and fix their feet. Um, but not so in Nepal. Sometimes these kids grow up and and get to be three, four, five, six, eight years of age um, with these club feet, and they can't really walk. Um, her her situation is pretty difficult still. She's not not walking yet totally, but it's still ongoing. That was 2017, but she's had a, a treatment of her, and I sent this out in an email. That, Here's a picture of sojina and physical therapy. But because of this deed of mercy and kindness, many villagers took note uh, about what Bob did, and, and then as he spoke to them, they heard about Jesus. And uh, before Prakash visited the village, think about this, six years ago, um, the village had never heard of Jesus. There was no Christian in the village at all. Um, But now there's some have come to faith in the village and a church building has been built and they gather for service every Saturday, uh, the day of worship in uh, Nepal. And so here's a picture of the church. I'm sitting way in the I'm I'm sitting like way back here. Right. Taking a picture of this. You can't quite sense how big this building is, but they have as many people as we have here. They probably have in a tenth of the space. It was just packed in there. Everybody's sitting down. It was a lively place. is a low caste village. It was chaos all around. It was, it was sort of crazy. I just put a video out about, about that if you want to catch that last video that I did. Um, but this is a great picture of how the church is built in Nepal. Others are in need. Christians rise to the occasion. They show mercy and people are like, why are you doing that? And say, well, but Jesus loved me and I'm commanded to love others and I, I do love others and I go that. And I, In fact, the constant verse I've heard in Nepal from believers is 1 John 4.19 which says we love because he First loved us. And he, God loved us in Jesus, and so we love other people. And so Nepali staff of first love, a practice, faith working through love. They've seen many come to faith. And about six weeks before I went to Begatta, um, uh, Bob Clinton was there with his budding church on a Saturday, and he was preaching from Matthew 25. Just in the imperative of, of being active in our faith when um, when Christians, how Christians show their love by helping those in need, because Jesus says the final judgment, Jesus is going to say, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And when I was naked, you clothed me. And based upon that, right, there's judgment there. Like, how has how the grace of God worked in your life to serve other people, particularly those in need? And then after service, a, an old man named Tikaram approached Bob to tell him of the problem that, that the village had Uh, with their water. They had a solar system that was set up and somehow it didn't work. Dirk, I'm sure you could have fixed it somehow, but some solar system and it it, it caused they didn't have any water in the village. And Tika Ram told Bob, and Tika Ram's this old man here, um, I dominate over him. One of the reasons I like to go to Nepal is because I feel so big (laughs) because I'm taller than everybody. And uh, you think about Bob there, how, how tall he is. But Tika Ram told Bob, an older man in this village, he said, please, if you have it in your heart, we are dying without water. And what was Bob to do? He just preached about when you're hungry, I fed you, or you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And he was sort of like, all right. Um, So he looked into it, worked the village people, made a few thousand dollars, helped solve the problem, and they're able to get water system working again. The village of Bangata needed water, and Bob helped them. It's like Jesus who had a need for water. We go back to John 4. Before giving Jesus the water he needed, the woman at the well asked him a question, though. We see in verse 9, she said this. The Samaritan woman said, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then John parenthetically adds, For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Here's a third point. Did I say a broken society? I mean, this is Nepal. Um, the social tension in Jesus' day was so great that he couldn't even speak with a woman, much less a Samaritan woman. And John explains in verse 9 that the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. The Samaritans were seen as a, a traitorous race against the Jews when Assyria had come and conquered Israel in 722 B.C., uh, the Syrians came in and they began to intermingle with a lot of the Jews. And the Jews then intermingled with the, the Assyrians, And so they're like half-breeds. They're mongrels, uh, if, if you will. And um, they were despised because they lost their purity as true Jews, as pure Jews. And so the, the Jewish people despised them, let them as, as outcasts. And I just think about in Nepal, there are despised people as well. In Nepal, there's this caste system where those of the high caste don't even speak or touch those of a low caste lest they would become unclean and defiled in some sort of way. And it's totally justified in their religion. you got the high class and the low class and all these different people um, throughout society. But when Christians come in and readily receive and serve and help those in lower caste, people take note. In fact, in Bangata, it is a lower caste um, society. And I think that's where a Christian coming in like Prakash and helping out in a real tangible way. Bob coming in and helping a girl with these club feet just to change her life radically with a few thousand dollars of medical bills. Um, just Christianity is different than Hinduism. Hinduism supports that, right? Because you die and then you come back low caste. If you did bad, you come back low caste. you do good, you'll come back high caste. So those who are low caste did bad, and they're being punished for their sins. But as it, believers in Jesus, right, we believe that all people made in the image of God worthy of respect and honor and love and acceptance... And um, Prakash does that really well. I sent out a video about the the senior ministry that he does. And he just has a heart for these people. These seniors in their culture really kind of despised, kind of just cast away. And I have a picture here of Prakash. this This is typical of Prakash. Here he is giving an elderly man in need of a bath, a bath. Now, he's not a CNA worker. He's like a pastor is what he is, just loving these people. He told me once, I'm an old man, I don't think it was this man, uh, he was caring for, his need to go to the bathroom, right? They're having some sort of senior fellowship and he had to go to the bathroom. And so he takes him to his house and to use Prakash's words, he soiled himself on the way to the bathroom. He said the mess ended up all over his hallway on the way to the bathroom. But Prakash cleaned up the man without a complaint. And I'm sure the man was far more embarrassed than Prakash was inhibited in any way from showing love to him. That's just precaution. He just just loves people, loves low caste people, loves to serve and help even to the least of society. And that's what we see in Jesus, willing to cross the social stigmas of a broken society to speak with this Samaritan woman. And asking her for some water, Jesus offered her something else. He offered her living water. We see this in verses 10 through 19. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is, that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This woman said to him, Sir, I have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did the sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I will not be thirsty or have to come out here to draw water. The land of Israel is a hot land. If you think about Israel, just think about Los Angeles. That's what Israel Israel is really like. Um, they need their water. And so also Nepal. And now, now, a lot of Nepal is cold, right? When you go up to the mountains, the mountains are like in the north. And in the south, it's called the tri So it's like a tri it's a dry land. It's a it's a flat land. It's a it's a tropical land. So if you're going to travel in Nepal, you always travel north to south across the tri and then you go back up the mountains again. You always come down the mountains, travel across the tri and then go up again. And in the Terai, it's hot and jungly there. That's where tigers are. Uh, that's where rhinoceros are, and the elephants in the in the jungle. But anyway, they need their water, and the village of Mangata needed their, their water. And those um, who lived in Benghada, though, needed more than water. They needed the living water that Jesus gave. And so on that Saturday, when I I visited this village, Bob took the ready-made object lesson. It was like laid out for you right there, right? I gave you water, right, a month ago. And now what's he going to come and do? He's going to come and preach about the living water. And so he preached on this passage. And during this worship service... Bob shared the story about Artike said we are dying without water and he shared how the water was restored he also shared their greater need their need for living water from which you will never thirst again and when the woman heard about this water she said in verse 15 like I've already read right the woman said to him sir give me this water that I will not be thirsty you have to come out here to draw water But you don't get your living water without first acknowledging your sin and your need for the life-giving water that Jesus provides. That's the point of verses 16 through 19 to, to show her sin, to show her brokenness and how it's only God who can make her right. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The omniscience of Jesus. Jesus knew about this woman. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right, saying, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands and the one... ...that you now have is not your husband. What you said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So Jesus exposed her sin. She was an adulterous woman. It's probably the reason why she came out to draw water alone in Jesus' day. The daily gathering of water was normally in the evening, not the hot of the day. Um, when the women would come out and chat with each other, a social event, talk with each other, help, help one another. But this woman was alone probably because of her sin... But that made her a perfect candidate for the gospel. And this is what Bob shared. Here I am behind the church, behind him preaching. I got him. right. He's illustrating. He's taking the water. He says, if I drink from this water, I'll be thirsty. I need to drink again. I need to drink again. I need to drink again. But if we drink from the the water that Jesus gives, we'll never need to drink again. And then Bob went through the simple gospel message. We're all sinners. Our sin deserves us death. We need a Savior to give us life. That's like eternal water that we have, this living water that we get. He offered the living water to those who were in the service and a good handful came forward to, to pray with Bob asking for this living water that was found in Jesus, including Tikaram. He couldn't kneel because of his old age, but he was sitting there just praying with Joel and, and praying with Bob. Unless you think this offer of the living water is only for those in Nepal, it's for us too, right? It's the gospel that, that Jesus gives us something that will eternally Always satisfy us, always gratify us Is in Christ. We don't need to pursue the things of the world. It's the things of Christ where true satisfaction comes. Simply acknowledge your sin, confess your sin, and come to Christ. Well, back to John. In verse 20, we see the woman abruptly changing subject. Maybe, but maybe she's inquisitive. I'm not exactly sure. But she changed the subject away from her sin, right? Nobody likes to talk about their sin. Let's talk about something else. Let's let's talk theology like Talkative did in Pilgrim's Progress. He said this. She said, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. And maybe this comes from her desire to worship the Lord rightly. I'm not sure. Right, the, the Samaritans, because they were excluded from Jerusalem, but still had this Jewish heritage, wanted to worship the Jewish God, set up this shrine, this altar, the sacrifice on Mount Gerizim, which was uh, just north of Jerusalem, and they sacrificed there. The Jews said, no, no, it's only in Jerusalem. And there was not only a social battle, there was this theological battle, and she knew of that battle, and she said, where's the place to worship? Who's right, she asked. And then Jesus spoke to her about my fifth point here, true worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship that which we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus said worship isn't about a place. Worship is about a person. It doesn't matter where you worship, it matters who you worship. True worshipers worship the Father. true worshipers worship in spirit. True worshipers worship in truth. And there's any phrase needed for those in Nepal to hear. Nepal in large, It is verse 24, "God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. See, in Nepal, like there are altars. And Hindu shrines, like, all around. Um, there are Buddhist stupas and flags. That Buddhist flags, I'm not sure you know this, but Buddhist flags have prayers written on them. And so as they flap in the wind, what are they doing? They're praying all those prayers. And who they're praying their prayers to? Buddhists don't know. They just pray. They just go up. But sacrifices are, are offered. Cows are in the street. Cows are revered and honored. Everyone in Nepal seems to worship their own gods, their own way, however they want to. They worship at this shrine or that shrine. They, they choose their favorite gods they like to have. Uh, they offer up food, sacrifice, and incense upon these altars. They light their candles. or They, they do whatever they do. They, they pray. It's just like worship for sure, but misguided. And Jesus says, no, you must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus says worship isn't about food, sacrifice, and incense. It's about the worship of God, the genuine spirit of worship. And then we see in verses 25 and 26, Jesus revealing himself as the Messiah. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. It's some of the most dramatic verses in all the Bible. This woman knows enough of the thrust of the Old Testament that, that it speaks and anticipates of the coming Messiah. And, and Jesus, even as he's speaking this way, seems to be a prophet because he knows her sin and seems to be talking about some spiritual wisdom and talking about the Messiah coming. And, and, and says, well, what about this? And Jesus says, I'm the Messiah. The first time that Jesus reveals his true identity In all the gospels is to this insignificant, sinful Samaritan woman. Just God works through weakness. God reveals Himself to the lowest of people. Because God loves the hurting. He loves the despised. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It's the it's the mourning ones, it's the meek ones, the despised ones. Who get the blessing? That's it. Like God's working in Nepal in the same way. He's revealing Himself to simple, insignificant people all the time. On my, my journey home in Sri Lanka, um, I sent a video to you. It's called the Mad Dash, where um, <clears throat> we were delayed getting out of Kathmandu, going to Sri Lanka. As my, my flight route took me all over the place, but uh, we're going to get there. And and we our flight was delayed for two hours and I had an hour and 50 minute layover in Sri Lanka. So if you quickly do the math, you kind of figure out that, you know what, the, the plane probably left 10 minutes before I landed. And so if you've seen the video, um, you, you know this mad dash that I made to make my connecting flight, that I, I had my, my GoPro out and I pulled it on me, I says, yeah, I landed in Sri Lanka and I'm kind of late. And then as I put my GoPro back, there's this guy saying, Steve Brandon, Steve Brandon, Steve Brandon. I'm like, oh, that's me. And so I pull my GoPro. Off, this will give me some. And so I got it, and I filmed the guy, and I kept the film rolling for four minutes. In four minutes, the guy ran me through the airport, was down through security, got my ticket, got my passport out, got in all the way down the jet, plane, sat down in four minutes. And so by God's grace, I, I did not miss my flight. Which meant that I spent the night in Abu Dhabi rather than spending it in Sri Lanka. If you know anything about Abu Dhabi and Sri Lanka, you want to spend the night in Abu Dhabi, not Sri Lanka. And God was gracious to me. But perhaps the Lord allowed me to get to the flight because a young man sitting to my left. I don't have a picture of him. I sort of wish I did, but it would kind of be, I don't know, rude or strange. But as I struck up conversation with him on the flight, I learned he's about 20 years old. Um, He's going to Australia um, to study. He's going to study accounting. It's an opportunity for him to escape the poverty of Nepal. And, and the guy on my right was from India, and he was going to India to make money, and he was going to be gone for like um, three years or something like that. I, I forget what it was. Without that was wife and kids. So that's how it works. You go over abroad for years, and then you, you serve up money, and then you send it back home. And then maybe you come back home, maybe save enough to be able to build a house and do something. But oftentimes they go. I, I was in a... After one trip, I forget where I was. I was on a bus going from a plane to a plane, and and there was a guy there, and I asked him where he was um, going, and he was going to Australia to work on a cruise for three years to supply for his family. I mean, it's just what you do, because they're a landlocked poor country. They get out. It's really difficult. Anyway, he was traveling to Australia to escape the poverty of Nepal, and he had this opportunity to study accounting. It was the first time on a big plane, first time out of the country of Nepal. I said, what do you want to see in Australia? He says, the sea. He's, he'd never been in a, a body of water, say like Lake Michigan, where you couldn't see across to the other side. It's just like he'd never seen that before. <laughs> He's looking forward to it. And they asked me about Nepal and where I visited him. I told him I was in Kathmandu and I was in Chitwan and I was in Bardia way out west. I was in Hatauda uh, more towards the east. And uh, he told me he was from Bootwal. I'd been to Bootwal before, so I told him I was there on, a, on another trip. And then he asked me what I did for a living. And he's got to be careful around there because it's illegal to be a missionary. And if you say you're a missionary, you're going to be out of Nepal. And so I, was kind of, I said, um, I'm a pastor of a church. And he like startled and he visibly shook, kind of like I was a, a ghost. And um, he said, I follow Jesus. He is my God. And then he showed me his phone. And this is on his phone. This is Sahil's phone. Jesus kind of floating in a white robe. I asked him, about why Jesus is God. He said, well, I like him. He's, he's beautiful. I like his teachings. Many Hindus follow lots of gods, but this is my God. I follow Jesus. And I asked him if he goes to a church. He said, no, I just worship Jesus by myself. I said, do you know any other Christians? He said, no. I said, do you know of a church like around where you live at all? He said, no. I said, has he ever read the Bible, learn about Jesus? He said, no. And they said, there's so many versions of the Bible, I don't know which one. And so I mentioned the app you version, which he was familiar with. And, and there's a Nepali version on that app. I said, just read that, and you'll be just fine. And so he was helped with that. And, and maybe all this explains his initial response to me. I don't know if he knows anybody in his social circle who's a Christian, much less a follower of Jesus. And so in the most simple of terms, in the most non-threatening way that I knew, I explained the gospel to him. I said, "This is, Jesus is not one God among many. Jesus is the only true and living God. Jesus is the only way to God. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. The only way to God is through Jesus because he died on the cross for our sins. Do you know that he died on the cross? He said, yes, I know he died on the cross. I said, he he died in our place for the sins that we committed. And we need to trust his sacrifice, and then we can be forgiven. And, And we don't worship Jesus to get something or to be good rather i said he loved us and i quoted john three sixteen. god so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life and then i, I use the line i hear so much for first john four nineteen, which says what we love because he first loved us i said that's how it all works right god first loved us sent his son died on the cross for our sins we believe and are reconciled to him and then we turn around and we love because of his love for us. I said something to the fact of that. And then over the course of our conversation, I didn't want to come upon him too hard, right? Um, but I was just gentle, let him raise some, some things. And over the course of our conversation, really pressed him upon the importance of a church where he can learn about Jesus. I can tell him in anything, right, within, uh, for our plane flight. Um, but much better to be involved in the church where he's um, around people who can learn about Jesus and with other followers of Christ as well. And so I got his email, and I, I promised I'd find a church in Melbourne, uh, find out where he is. I got the name of his school, try to match it up with a, a church that's good close by. And so I'll be emailing with him when I find some time here. Where he can be around a, a community with others just to, to love him. And, and even I, I told him the story of Becky. Remember him? He's the guy that trains church planters. Becky's story is he came from a Hindu um, background, and for the first 21 years of his life, he'd never heard the name of Jesus before. And then some Nepali missionaries came and lived um, lived by him, and um, they lived next door to him. In fact, they told him about Jesus, and he would argue against them. He said, "But the thing that really turned me is that they never got mad at me. I was mad and angry with them, but they were just gracious with me." He says, "You can believe what you want to believe. We're just coming in the love of Jesus to tell you about Him." Um, but the response of love was a big persuasion in his life, and his life was trained to trust Jesus. And um, I can tell you more about his, test- his testimony. may I tell you a little more. He, 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 worsh- he grew up in this Hindu home where they worshiped the snake god. And uh, he remembers as a young man or a little boy or whatever, then a snake got into his house. And his parents were like, ah, ah, and they, they left. They had poisonous snakes, right? So they got out of the house. And he's like, how strange that when our god comes, we run away. So he thought, no, oh, that was kind of strange. But he came to Christ, and I, I told Sahil about how um, Becky would just, you know, now he changed, uh, he um, trains church planters. God's totally transformed his life. And, and I said to Sahil, I said, studying Australia could be a transforming opportunity in your life. You can get away from your house, away from the Hindu culture, you can have an opportunity to pursue Christianity and a church and learn much about what it means to follow Jesus. Right, so let me pray for this man. We don't have a picture of him. Sahil, so great opportunity. Not just education changes life, but maybe even a greater way, right? The spiritual reality of Jesus changes life eternally. Well, getting back to John 4, we see in verse 27. Just then his disciples came back, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or what are you talking with her? Why are you talking with her? So the woman left the water Jaron went away into town and said to the people just back into her Samaritan town Sychar, come see a man who told me all I ever did can this be the Christ and they went out to the town where they were coming to him and I'm just calling this eager to speak notice a woman she didn't have any evangelistic training she wasn't in some sort of evangelism class she wasn't compelled by some pastor okay you need to go and share the gospel with your non-Christian friends but when God stirs in your heart you cannot help but speak Avon and I reading yesterday it was um, Mark chapter 2 or Mark chapter 1 the leper was, leper was healed one I think at the end of chapter 1 leper was healed and Jesus said don't <laughs> tell anybody and what the leper do? Jesus transformed me and he goes out and he starts talking about Jesus and Jesus like oh you blew it now I can't be in the sea I got to go out in the country now that's evangelism to be so impacted right we enjoy the grace of God so that we extend the glory of God it's more about a heart, and it's more about being impacted by the grace of God, how great that is. And if you really are, you will talk with people than it is about any sorts of training, anything like that, though training is good. But anyway, she didn't know much, but what she knew she spoke in verse 29. Come, see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this man be the Christ? She starts evangelizing her, her village. And I saw this eagerness to speak about Jesus in the Paul. I was at a children's home in Bardia. Um, that is out west, by the way, which is where an earthquake was, you saw the update of that. The, the children's home was fine, but there's some people at the children's home whose family um, uh, was affected by it a little bit, but they're, they're safe, they're okay. And I texted with uh, uh, one of the children, an 18-year-old, 20-year-old, whatever, he's um, going to school now, but he's teaching part-time, and he just started texting me, and so I've been back and forth. I said, are you okay? Are things things good? He says, I said, did you feel it? He said, yes, we felt the bed shake. We woke us up, but we were... We were okay. Anyway, I was in Bardia at the children's home, and I was asked if I wanted to play football. Not, not the oblong thing, but the round thing, where they actually use their feet. And I said, sure. And I didn't tell them I played soccer in college, but by this point, that really doesn't matter very much because I felt my age, just to put it that way. And um, I walked with some other boys. It's a very nice field. It had a fence all around it, so that means the, the cows and pigs and goats that roam couldn't, like... Um, feed there and drop their their belongings there around the field. So it's a nice field. And the level of play at these men was very good, actually by the way. And uh, a- anyway, um, right the teams are mostly the, the teens from the children's home against the Hindu neighbors. Is kinda, I think they've probably done this before. And so here's my team. Um, most of these guys are in the children's home. Um, I recognize quite a few but I don't some of them were maybe some locals because they didn't quite have the numbers against the other team. Um, but as we're warming up with these guys, one of the guys in the children's home said, he said, before we begin, I want you to introduce yourself to the other team, and I want you to share the gospel with them. Here's a 16-year-old having his heart. He just said, hey, we're going to play pick pickup soccer game. Use it for an opportunity for the gospel. Of course, I was glad to do that. So here we are approaching the guys from the other team. I, I don't have a video of exactly what I said, but I, I said something like this. I just got three minutes and uh, to these guys totally never heard of Jesus perhaps you know the Hindus and um, I told them about how I would come from the other side of the world they do this often right? Here's, here's the globe and here's Nepal I'm from down here I've come all the way around the world it's no place I'd rather be than to be with all of you it was really nice and I said I've come to visit those in the children's home right, because they've been abandoned by their parents and I've come because God has a heart for such people God cares for those who are hurting and all of us We're hurting because of of our sin. But Jesus can heal our hurts. He can forgive us our sins if we but trust in him. I've trusted in him. He's changed my life. And he loved me first, so what have I done? I have loved to come and be with those in Nepal. And these boys from the children's home love Jesus as well. And you can too. You can know his love. Just turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. And when I was talking about that, some of these guys were like spin, rolling their heads and like, what is this kind of going on? So I tried to be sensitive, but it was, it was three minutes through a translator. It was really short. But just just want you to say these guys are eager to speak about Jesus. It's how the church in Nepal's grown so quickly because the people are eager to speak, perhaps even more so than us. And, and maybe there's reason for that because of the rise of the church. When they speak, people are converted. Like when we speak, all we get is... Okay, that's good for you, right? Right. But if people were responding, maybe there'd be be more there. I'm not sure. But they were eager to speak. But their boldness is a challenge to me. It should be a challenge to all of us, especially maybe even you teens, right? Here's a teenager, abandoned by his parents, raised by a home, wanting to preach the gospel. Wanting to use this foreigner to come in, a chance to have the gospel spoken to these Hindu boys. Are you eager to speak? It's the theme of Romans, eager to speak the gospel, which we went through for a couple years. And then we went through the book of Acts. Be my witnesses. It's what the thrust of the scriptures are, that God might impact us. that we might go out and spread his word. All right, I need to hurry up here. True food, verses 31 through 34. Jesus speaks about the life-giving power of the ministry to others. He says this, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat! But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know do not know about the disciples said to him, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. I've been gone for two and a half weeks. It seemed like two and a half months. Um, so much happened during all these days. I, I'm just telling you just a little bit of the experiences I had in Paul, Just like John 4, what, what what might come up from John 4 is kind of all that I'm doing as we work through this passage. But I'm tired. Jet lag. Because of jet lag, I woke up about 3: 30 this morning. Boom, <laughs> wide awake. So I'm still struggling with that uh, a little bit. Um, it take me a day or two, but I'll, I'll, I'll get past it pretty full, but I'll, um, I'll, I've come back full. I'm tired, but I come back satisfied. I, I come back satisfying, pouring myself out to others. I come back encouraged at seeing the work of God in Nepal. I mean, every, I went to bed exhausted every night. And I do this little sleep meter sort of thing. And I was like 100% almost every single night until I slept so deeply. But a question was asked often, will you come back? And I just said, pray. Pray that God will make it clear when I can return. Because I love being home. Life's so much easier at home rather than traveling, right? The fatigue is great when you're traveling. um, But God's work is food for my soul, so what Jesus said to his disciples, didn't understand, in verse 34, they said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish his work. And what's true, Jesus, is also true of you. When you're at the center of God's will, when God uses you in some way to speak with others about Jesus, there is a way in which your soul is super satisfied. Have you ever had that experience and opportunity? It, there's something about it that, that like, yes, you're, you're not hungry, you're like, like this, you've been satisfied when... When you have the opportunity to be at peace in God's kingdom. See, Jesus gives us living water from which you'll drink, you'll never thirst again. He also gives us true food. When you serve the Lord, you'll find deep satisfaction in your soul. Now, for each of us, of course, it's different. Jesus, he was speaking with this woman with me in these past three weeks, been traveling to encourage others on the opposite side of the world. Usually for me, it's sharing my life with you, shepherding you through God's word. For you, it's going to look different yet. Maybe it's serving here at the church. And maybe it's sharing your life with those outside the church who need the gospel. Maybe it's your neighbors. Maybe it's some friends in some activities or people at school, people at work. Perhaps it's found in visiting the jail, as Gary's talking about, we're going to do in six weeks or so. Maybe it's given financially to the Lord's work. Maybe it's coaching your child's soccer team. Maybe it's found in serving in some local ministry. And hopefully it means several of these things. As you just seek to pour out yourself to the Lord. And church families, I just encourage all of you to know this food that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about this living water that we get, we'll never thirst again. And here he's talking about the food that makes us so we're not hungry. We're self satisfied in him when we're serving him as Jesus did. Okay, my last point nine, because I've run out of space on the screen. Great harvest, verse 35 through 38. He said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. Do not say, there are yet, do you not say, there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who weeps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I send you to reap for that which you do not labor. <clears throat> Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. And as Jesus speaks about the reality of the kingdom Right? That's how it works. Some people labor on and they sow and they sow and they sow only to have someone else reap. And right, those who are sowing and those who are reaping right, rejoice together as so you see this great harvest come about. In his day, the harvest was great. These disciples would soon go out and, uh, and change the world. I tried to look for some kind of graph which showed the number of followers of Jesus in the early church um, over time but I couldn't get it. But I, I think it's exponential, just like in Nepal. Like, Nepal is like the early church now. Just so many people come into Christ, and that was the time back then. The harvest is great in Nepal right now. The harvest isn't great in America right now. We ought to pray that it will be. Psalm 80 would be a good psalm to pray through. It speaks about revive us, O God. But yet, still, we need to labor. We need to press on. We need to sow. We need to pray to the Lord that we can reap just encourage you to do that just to see that there is a great harvest there's a great harvest in Nepal and if you look and say hey how can I be involved we have a church that's been involved in these children's homes for about 18 years or so if you say you know what maybe I want to support a child um, you can support a child like $100 $110 maybe a month supports a child you can support half a child like right? just the left side have someone else support the right side you can do that too but like there's a real simple way to put your treasure someplace and to support Bob and his work what's helpful for me going over there, I just say that Bob is doing a wonderful work all these children's homes and transforming these people. Like, there might be a way that you can be involved uh, in Nepal in just the most simplest of ways. But you, you, this push, though, is not just Nepal, not just out there. How easy is American just to throw money? I just encourage you more to throw your time and investment in people who need the gospel here. If you're not sharing the gospel here, you're not going to share it over there. Right? Don't, don't think, oh, if I got over there, I'd be, be great. No, you need to be here, right? Be faithful in the little things, and so pour out yourself and pray that God would give a, a great harvest. And, and I love this harvest that, that came, verse 39 and following. Many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. Here's this harvest that she said of his testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. There's the harvest. Just is a great harvest. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world not just America not just Israel but even the Savior of Nepal he is and he's working all the way around the world that's my trip to Nepal thanks for listening let's pray Father I I just thank you for the opportunity to go Um, it's hard being gone from family for three weeks Um, was fearful before I left just of the long time that I would be gone but you've been gracious and helped me and sustained me protected me from sickness, I was ultra careful of what I ate um, god but you 've been you 've been gracious, and God of anybody, I pray for Sahil. just pray as I contact him and recommend a church perhaps he might go to. I pray he would find the living water in Australia that uh, would help him, even as his heart is disposed to Jesus, he sees the beauty of Christ, and I pray God that that would lead him not just with spirit but also to worship in spirit and in truth. I pray for Becky and the church planting that he is doing involved with with all of the the men and these um, people who are going to go out and figure out how to plant churches in all these villages. There are many more villages in Nepal who are just like Bengada who have not heard the gospel yet, have no believers in that community yet, God, and I just would pray that these church planners would go about, go back to their community that you would see the church flourish that you would bless their work we' pray for the the children 's homes, uh, just even pray for the children 's home in Bardia, just pray for those um, youth who have played soccer with those Hindu um, neighbors. Just would pray that even there that you would open a door even as um, they, they have very few Christians just outside of their children's home and their small little community there. I just would pray you would bring people to Christ and start your revival there as you've started so many other places. I pray for Bangata. I just would pray that just as they have the water back and the living water and the, the locals are excited about that, um, the water they have, I pray that the living water would flow even more abundantly. Um, Father, in every way. And just also pray for Andy Lama as he is faithfully involved in schools um, and just training up many, many children. Uh, Many Hindu children are even coming to, uh, willing to come to a Christian school because the education is better there. Just would pray for the impact that he might make. Help him in his busyness. And he still has a dissertation to write. Pray you'd help him with that. Pray also for Alan Jin and Lazarus as they labor in training pastors just in preaching and understanding your word and how to digest it for themselves how to dissect it for themselves and bring it to your people Um, God just would pray for nepal Uh, I thank you that we as a church have had a heart for this country for many many years a decade and a half And just would pray you'd help us and guide us uh, what it means for the future Um, Thank you for phil smith and his trip there just traveling and understanding and uh, even as he will be here again I'm sure at rock valley bible church preaching pray it help him give him wisdom um, in helping oversee and guide church in Nepal. Uh, Just thank you for that experience. Pray that what you've done in me would spread out to all of us so we would have a heart for missions and a heart for the lost of the world. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.